0: Well, our theme today is transformation, and you know uh, the coming of Christ, which was we celebrate at Christmas time, is really a watershed moment in God's plan for transforming the world. Um, transformation happens to be one of the core values of this church. We have this uh, belief that being changed ought to be a regular part. Of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. That it shouldn't just be happening to us every now and again. That something maybe gets tweaked a little bit. But that change should be a normal part of our walk with Jesus Christ. And then we're looking towards February and we hope to have a class called Transformation. Uh, this is going to be one of the core courses of our Gospel Academy. And, you know, the Gospel Academy is really helping us accelerate along the path of discipleship. And so we're uh, hoping and praying that in February we'll be able to offer this course. And it's really going to get into the nuts and bolts of how it is that we as people change uh, throughout the course of our walk uh, with Jesus Christ. So I'm excited to see that coming uh, in February. We're already starting to plan for that. Now, I want to say this. The desire for transformation is part of what awakens our pursuit of God. The desire for transformation is part of what awakens our pursuit of God in the first place. Um, We don't like the way that they are, right? We feel like something could be better. We hunger for more. We we have a taste of what could be, and we want to move towards it. And, And that desire um, awakens in us uh, a hunger for the transcendent. We want more. We can imagine something better, but we don't know how to get it. And oftentimes that's the beginning of a pursuit of God. Uh, the longing that we have for transformation, for what could be, is actually an argument for the existence of God. C.S. Lewis makes this point, that it's strange to hunger... ...for a thing that does not exist. So, so my hunger for food suggests that there is a thing called food. And my hunger for transcendence, my hunger for a change and transformation... I guess this is not working, so... Um, is this one working? Okay. My hunger for, for, let me go back, for food suggests that there is a thing called food. My hunger for transcendence, for something greater, for change... From what things are now to what things could be in the future suggests that that change, that transformation is possible. Um, Christians and atheists are are moved by transcendence, right? We're all moved by it. That's why we experience, you know, a nice waterfall or or maybe a beautiful wave or a sublime piece of music. And we love it, but we never feel like it's enough. We always feel like maybe um, it's a taste of something greater that we still hunger for. And so this desire for change is awakened in us when we encounter that kind of transcendence in our lives and the lives that we live. They leave us hungering for more. It feels like we've tasted a meal, but we haven't really had it set before us in all of its fullness and glory And greatness, like at Thanksgiving, if you just you had a taste of of my wife's cranberry sauce, but you didn't get the rest of the meal, it's the most amazing thing. It it gives you, it awakens this hunger, and in many respects, that's how we experience this world. And so that desire for transformation is so critical to our journey with God. Now, um, the longing for transformation touches, uh, as we're sort of playing with right here, some of the deep existent- existential things of life, but it also touches on some of the more ma- mundane elements. There's some mundane applications to transformation. I mean, just simply, I want to transform because I want to stop doing the things that that harm myself and harm the people around me, Right? Um, When I see the pain that I cause in other people, it gives me grief, and I want to change. I want to be transformed so that I don't do that anymore, right? There's some simple kind of mundane things that happen. I don't like the pain that others feel as a result of me, so I want to change. And then there's a kind of a... What we could call an anthropological, that just means having to do with humanity, with human beings uh, reason that we want to change. And that is because human beings were made to be in a particular way. We are designed to live in a particular way and sin causes us to miss the mark of our design. We don't live in the way that God made us to live. And when we're transformed, we, we draw closer to God's original intent for us as human beings. And so we hunger for this transformation for that reason as well. It leads to a kind of a greater joy and a freedom. It's like, it's like when an object is, is actually being used for the thing that it was made to do. And suddenly you realize its its purpose. And, and, and in many ways, the process of transformation brings us closer and closer to what God really originally intended for us as human beings. And I wanna say this as we go through this series, we are starting a new series today. Uh, it's called Transforming Glory. And um, what you behold is what you become, or something like that. I think we changed the exact phrasing, but it's this idea of what you behold. Um, determines what you become. We're going to talk about that this morning. But as we go through this series, um, uh, you know, and hopefully this course uh, later in the winter in February, uh, I want us to hold this process of transformation somewhat carefully. Let's, let's hold this, this beautiful and wonderful and precious process of transformation somewhat carefully. It's really easy to hear a sermon like I'm going to give this morning and, and hear it for a friend, right? Like, wouldn't it be great? I hope so-and-so is listening to this sermon because they really need to change. Right? But the the reality is is that in this life we really only have you know if we have any much control at all it's over who who we are, and there's a space here where you know we can lose grace when we start to think about transformation with respect to um, expectations for others, and that becomes the emphasis of our pursuit of transformation is to expect others to change, to grow, and to be different. Uh, and, and what we do, it's very, very easy in that. For those expectations of transformation that we place on others to become a kind of a law that undermines the grace that really should characterize everything that we do within the Christian framework. And so I want to caution us against that. Yes, it's easy to see the log in someone else's eye. And yes, you may have had an easy time removing that particular log from your eye. But for some reason, isn't it true that some things in our life are just hard to change? And it's different for each one of us. Something that might be easy for somebody else is very difficult for another person. And so we need to appreciate that perspective. And we need to to focus perhaps on the log in our own eye as we pursue the process of transformation. Now, one other important uh, sort of preliminary as we get into this series, and that brings us to the role of the Holy Spirit um, the work of transformation is, is sacred work, right? Um, it can only really be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit blows where he wills, uh, according to what Jesus taught uh, in the Gospel of John. His timing is oftentimes not our timing. Um, and so we have to show one another a great deal of, of grace uh, for when we're stuck, That's part of the transformation process. A huge part of life is uh, going to be about bearing with other people's failures to be transformed in ways that we would like for them to be transformed or in ways that God would want even for them to be transformed. And this is the interesting dynamic that, that part of that bearing with one another often becomes sort of the engine of our own transformation process, because we're forced to then ask questions, well, why am I so frustrated by this person's lack of change? Um, and, and what is it about me that has a hard time uh, embracing them in their current state uh, with the struggles and pains and sufferings that they have? And so um, we have to approach this work with a kind of, sacredness, that the Holy Spirit is the engine of transformation. The Holy Spirit uh, determines the timing um, and the ways and the the means, and there's some mystery element to it. And this doesn't mean that we're powerless uh, in the process. I always love the image of the sail. When it comes to transformation, you know, we we can try and row the boat in our own strength, the boat of transformation in our own strength. Um, Or, you know, we can just let the winds blow us wherever they will, just haphazardly. Or we can focus our energy on raising up the biggest possible sail that we can so that when the Holy Spirit blows, when the wind blows, we will catch the Holy Spirit. And it's in that framework that we want to think about the process of transformation, of making ourselves um, sort of placing ourselves in the target of the blowing of the Holy Spirit so that, so that change can happen in our lives. So how do we do that? How do we raise a sail? How do we... That's the question that we're going to be uh, grappling with this morning. So um, I might even be getting another microphone here in the next little while. Pretty cool. This is our last chance. So pray that the red microphone goes well. All right. All um, right. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So if you would open to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Sounds better already. 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is going to help us to understand how change occurs. How do we raise that sail so that we can catch the Holy Spirit as the Lord blows across our lives? 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all... "...with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." We are being transformed. Now, the Greek word for transformed is the same word that we use to come up with metamorphosis. So it's hard not to think of that word and not to think about a butterfly, right? We have a little cocoon in our yard and I had to go back home on my way. I went to the office and then I had to go back home just to make sure it hadn't opened up yet. We're waiting. Isn't that oftentimes the way when the process of transformation, we're waiting, waiting, and it seems to be taking a long time. We're waiting for this cocoon, for this caterpillar that we saw crawling on the plant and now is in the cocoon to to burst forth In transformation. It's one of the most powerful images we have of transformation. And what really sort of blows me away as I think about that and look at the scripture, such as the one that we're looking at this morning, is that this amazing, as amazing as the transformation that a caterpillar undergoes is, the transformation that God has planned for us is even greater. Okay? Deeper, richer, broader more wonderful even so you think about that you think about all that has to change in the caterpillar to become what it becomes when it comes out as a butterfly and we've got a kind of a process that's taking place inwardly and future uh, for us that's even more wonderful and more incredible than that as much as I get excited about the caterpillar I can be excited about the transformation that God has in store for me and for you And this verse outlines the process. We are being transformed, it says, into the image of Christ... Uh, I mentioned that transformation takes us closer to how we as human beings were intended to be. Um, How is a human intended to be? Well, the answer is Christ. Christ is the perfect human being. Uh, Christ embodies uh, humanity in its perfection the way that God intended it to be. Now, does that mean we're going to become the same height and look just like Jesus? No, it means that we're going to become like Jesus in his qualities, still maintaining our personality. So when you ask the question of what are we being changed into, the greatest answer is Christ. We're change into Christ's likeness um, you know, and and we're becoming more aligned with God in the way that Jesus was. His heart, soul, strength, and mind were aligned with God, and so we are becoming like Jesus. We become the kind of people who do more and more what we were meant to do, who think more and more what we were meant to think who live with their strength in a way that God intend us to live. That's what it means. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. I wish I had more time to dig into that. Now, this work is done by the Spirit. So, we're, we're focusing on some prepositions here. It's into the image of Christ, and it's by the Spirit. I've already mentioned this. But in this chapter, there's another way of transformation, which ends up not really being a way of transformation at all. It's called the law. In theory, people could be changed by being given the law, right? If you just tell them what to do, in theory, they would be able to do the right thing. But the problem is, we have this thing called sin, which prevents us from living out the law. And so something greater than the law is required for us to be truly and lastingly transformed. And so we have not just the word which is inscribed on the tablet, which is the law which shows us how to live, but we have the spirit who enables us to live out the law, and so it's not just law. Words are not enough, because um, we can agree with a word. Have you th- have you had this happen? You agree with an idea. You know what you want to do. Paul talks about this in Romans eight. You know what you want to do, but you do the opposite of what you want because of sin. So we need something more than just the word. We need the word and the spirit. So the transformation happens by. The Spirit. And then lastly, and this is where we're going to camp for a moment, we're being transformed, it says, through the beholding of the Lord. So it's into the image of Christ by the Spirit and through the beholding of the glory of the Lord. And you're wondering, what in the world is that? What is the glory of the Lord? And how in the world do we do that? How do we behold the glory of the Lord? So with... The space that I have in the next couple of minutes, I wanna I wanna try and dig into that a little bit, Now it's gonna be a little bit lofty, maybe a little bit um, kind of out there. We're gonna get into the nuts and bolts of transformation, but if we don't understand the big picture, uh, what's really happening, then. Um, then we're not going to be able to get into the nuts and bolts, the kind of uh, the application as we go through the series and then our course. Uh, And so so go with me on this journey. See, um, the point I want to make here is that what you behold, you become. What you behold, you become. This text is dragging us deep into the process of transformation. We know it happens by the Spirit, but the second level question is how? How does the Spirit bring about the transformation in us? And it turns out that the operative mechanism by which the Holy Spirit transforms us is through bringing us into contact with the glory that is associated with the Lord. That's how the Holy Spirit brings about the change. We see this idea of what you behold is what you become in other places in the scripture. Just one example from 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, referring to Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What you behold is you become. So if you want to change, or if you sense God calling you onto the journey of transformation, which which He is, that's what the scripture teaches, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, then the way it, it unfolds is through the beholding of the glory of the Lord. Which brings us to the next question what then is the glory? What is glory? What is glory? It's a great question. And I initially felt an immense pressure as I was working on this sermon to try to define glory. But then I remembered this important truth. We're going to be grasping, we're going to be understanding, we're going to be learning about glory for all of eternity. So if standing in this parking lot in front of this little metal stand, I'm not quite able to bring you into the fullness of all of God's glory, then maybe that's okay but I can hopefully point in the direction. And In order to do this, I want to take us backwards into the Old Testament and I want you to think with me about some of the fascinating and wonderful ways that the Old Testament talks about the glory of God. Um, it captures our attention like fire, the glory does. The glory is, is like a fire. It, you know how a fire mesmerizes you and draws you in? The glory of God is like that. It emanates like a Clouds spreading out and infiltrating all the places where you, you wouldn't be able to go, but smoke has this ability to infiltrate uh, in all the, the, the nooks and crannies, and that's what the glory of God does. It rises like the sun and blankets its surrounding with radiance, which we're experiencing at this moment as I stand here in the sun. It's the message you know, that the stars declare, the heavens declare the glories of God, that the stars declare from they're inconceivably remote perches, perches like out in you know we can't even begin to fathom how far away the stars are, and they're they're shining brilliantly. And what is the purpose of all that? And the Bible teaches us that the purpose of that is to declare the glory of God. They're in the cheap seats, yelling with all their might the glory of God. That's what the stars are. So they're big and awesome and powerful. They declare the glory of God. It's referenced, the glory, is in symbols that God has his people construct. Like he tells the people to make this ark, and it's amazing and beautiful, and and, and, and accompanying it is the glory of God. And, and we could spend a whole sermon just exploring what the ark is. You know, the priest's ornate clothing. Um, God, it's amazing when you read through the Old Testament, and, and every little... Part of the priest's clothing was designed to manifest the glory of God. To be a symbol which points to the glory of God. The accoutrements of the king, right? Which is why we love to watch the crown. We like to see all the things, you know. Or, or we would love to go to Wakanda and see all the things associated with kingliness. There's something glorious about all the accoutrements of the king. Glory is the sense of exhilaration that accompanies the victory of God. That's what we see in the Old Testament. And then, you know, when there's this great victory and you, you just can't help yourself but, but celebrate it, right? You, you just can't help but jump into the celebration. That's, that's you embracing and being a part of the glory of God. It's the name of God and it's His fame, both of which inspire us to, to make music and to sing songs. It's His presence. It's the splendor of His holiness. It's His strength. And one day it will cover the entire earth. The Bible teaches us. One day it will cover the entire earth and life will be abundant. And why will it be abundant? Because we'll be bathing in the glory of the Lord. That's what's going to make it abundant. That's what's going to make heaven, heaven. And we're going to be discovering day in and day out the majesty and the wonder and the beauty and the splendor of the glory of God. His mercies of glory will be new every morning. and that's just the old testament when we turn the page over into the new testament it's as if all of these these threads of glory right we we've tried to pull out some threads what what is glory and we're we're thinking about the various threads in the old testament it's it's as if when you turn the page into the new testament all of those threads have been woven into a multicolored coat that Jesus puts on himself, and we come to find out that as he puts it on, it's been perfectly tailored for him. Or if you like to think of another metaphor, it's as if Jesus is the glass prism through which the blinding bright light of the glory of God shines and is refreshed refracted into all of its different colors so that we can begin to see the multiple layers and wonders of his glory. I was uh, on my Sabbath sitting in the side yard and drinking a glass of water and it was getting kind of cold so I moved into the sun and I was standing in the sun and I, I was holding my glass of water like this. The sun was warming me and I pulled Up the glass of water and suddenly the sun came reflecting into my glass and it just sort of exploded in my face. As I pulled the glass up, it sort of exploded with colors and all it had was water. But suddenly this very mundane looking, plain looking glass held up into the sun with the sun shining brilliantly through it you know, just captured my it mesmerized me, it captured my attention. And I could see all the the nooks and crannies, the the elements of the glass were 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 manifest to me, things that I hadn't noticed about this this old glass which was now shining forth in a kind of a, a glory. Well if God can do something like that with a drinking glass, you know, imagine what he does with the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the powerful thing. Oh we're going for number four. Alright. Yeah. Sorry about that. Here's, here's the... we, may not, we may need the other one. Now we're working? Okay. Here's the powerful point of that. Is that it's that. It's that magnificence of the glory of God. Uh, in Christ, which brings about the transformation that we long for, that we hunger for, that we can't do on our own, that, that we would hope for the people that we love, that, that becomes a taste of the future which we so desperately want to participate in. It's transforming glory. What you behold is what you become. What you behold is what you become. So then the question is, you know, how do we behold the glory of God? How do we behold the glory of the Lord? We ask ourselves, and and you may ask yourself this morning, okay, if, if that's how transformation comes, you've been, you know, painting this picture of this sort of lofty thing, how can I, in my own humanity, you know, I'm waking up in the morning with my sort of everyday life. You know, what you're talking about is too far from me. I can't do it. I can't, I can't behold. How do I behold the glory of the Lord on a regular basis? Um, how, can I, how can I do that? How do I see it? And the answer to the first question, which is can I see the glory of the Lord, is absolutely Yes. And really, that's what I'm going to leave you with this morning. You can see the glory of the Lord. The answer to the question is absolutely yes. And why do I say that? Because whereas there was a veil in the Old Testament, there was a kind of a spiritual dullness to the things of God. What this passage says is that Jesus has lifted the veil. Jesus has lifted the veil. So that the glory of the Lord is available to us. Jesus is God making himself accessible. Jesus is God making himself accessible. Jesus deals with the problem of sin that keeps us from seeing the glory of the Lord. And so it's so interesting that, you know, Jesus says, Now is my time to be glorified. And what happens next? He goes to the cross. Because in that cross, he's atoning for sin so that the eyes of humanity can be opened to the glories of God. That that veil of sin which keeps us from being able to see God has been been lifted. And so when we start on this journey, and this is going to be a journey um, of transformation. When we start on this journey, we need to start with a sense of a kind of a confidence that it's possible to be changed. It's possible to see the glory of the Lord. It's possible to be transformed. That's what the message of this morning is. It's possible. You can behold the glory of the Lord. You can change. Because God has lifted the veil. Jesus has lifted the veil. And the journey then sort of begins from that point with a sense of of boldness and confidence. Um, And then we get into the particulars, which we're going to be doing over the next weeks. And then even more into the nuts and bolts as we have our Gospel Academy on transformation. But we must never, as we get into that, forget the big picture. And this is what I often see in a lot of ways that we talk about transformation uh, within the Christian framework. It's very easy to forget the main point. It's very easy to descend into techniques and tricks that would maybe help us to change and and grow and to forget the big picture point, which is simply this, is that the way that transformation happens is when we behold Jesus Christ. So we need to hold on to that. So I want to ask you this morning as we finish up our time, you know, this is a Christmas season, um, and so maybe the first question that we can ask is... How can I behold Jesus more over this next month? What can I do to set myself in front of Christ, to begin to behold Christ? I, that, that's just putting up your sail. To put myself, to set myself down in front of Christ. You know, God has given us unique personalities, and something that works for one person may not be as effective for another um, And so this is a little bit of inner work you got to do to figure out what does it mean to set yourself in front? How do the scriptures that teach of Christ become open to you? How do you get excited about them? Is it listening to sermons? Is it reading a book? Is it opening up the word early in the morning? How over this season, when traditionally life gets more frenetic and complex and we try to add to life, you know, additional parties and people and decorations and all these things. I don't know how we're going to do that during the pandemic, but you know, there will be some pressures to do some version of it. How in the midst of this season, can I simply plant myself before Christ to behold Christ? One of the most poignant moments right at the, at the coming of Jesus is where you've got Mary and Joseph, you've got all the animals there. Uh, and then somehow it unfolds over time. We don't know the exact way in which it unfolds, but here come the shepherds and they behold this, this baby. And then the magi come bringing gifts and they behold this baby. And, and and let that be an image for you as you launch into this season, this December 2020. Um, with all that's taken place and all the hits you've taken and the suffering that you've endured and the uncertainty, how will you place yourself before the incarnated God, Jesus Christ, and behold the glory? Because that is the essence of the transformation that we all desperately long for. So God, would you meet us this season Amidst the din of noise and opportunity, um, amidst the flurry of elements popping up on our screens, calling us to behold them, some unhealthy, some downright sinful, some painful, some stressful, some anxiety-producing. God, would you give us a vision for Mary and Joseph planted before the manger, for the shepherds, for the magi, for the angels surrounding them, that we might give ourselves, devote ourselves to beholding your glory this season and buy it, to be caught up in it. And to be transformed through it. Would you unleash your spirit upon us as a church and as individuals. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The glorious thing that Jesus did in going to the cross. Would you unleash your spirit upon us. And guide us. Guide our sight so that we might have clear vision. Lift the veil. If there's any obstacles keeping us from seeing and beholding your glory. Lift the veil. Continue to lift the veil that we might see you and be transformed. Walk with us on this journey. Help us not to hold expectations for others, but to really seek our own growth and to allow ourselves to become people who love more like Christ, who live more like Christ, who serve more like Christ. That's what we're hoping and longing for, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.